Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Wood. Thank you for joining us this Thursday morning. As we uh, get started, we're going to go over some political news to get you started off during the day, and then we'll kick it over to just a little bit of sports during this midweek portion. We've had a lot going on in politics, and just want to kind of go over what's been going on with that, because there's just been a, been a whole lot. It's just been kind of a consistent flow all the way from this weekend, or really from past Thursday all the way to, to now. So, um, nothing, nothing too great, but stuff that we really need to know, stuff that we can use in our fight back against just this this political climate and just against the the darkness that is in our world and just stuff that is happening. So it's always good to know, but I got plenty for you. So uh, just kind of buckle in and I'll get started with it. But first off, I want to talk about this is just last night uh, news that just broke and kind of just through the night in the morning kind of happened roughly about midnight last night but um gavin newsom is still the governor of california as if a lot of you i'm sure have heard at this point but he survived a recall election will stay in office until at least next year when he runs for re-election and just survived in what a lot of people thought might have been a been a close race i guess you'd say or possible upset where you see newsom get removed from just you know, from the governorship in California, obviously that, like I said, didn't happen, and so here we are. And the t- final tally, looking at it, like I said, it wasn't wasn't exactly close, like a lot of people thought it might be. It was sixty four voted no on the recall, and thirty six percent voted yes to remove him. So sixty four percent of the total people that voted in California said that they wanted Gavin Newsom to stay. This the governor that. Uh, you thought would have a lot more people come out against him, especially considering that a lot of people just hated how he's handled COVID and how he's handled just, I mean, just a lot of stuff. Obviously, everyone knows in California they have homelessness running about. You got people all over the streets. You got drugs. You got stealing. You got all these, ty- I mean, just these terrible problems in the state of California, but you have him still in office. And it doesn't make sense from a logical perspective, but. This is the part that I kind of want to hit at because I don't think too many people have hit at it in just today talking about it. And I see the Democrats with with this like Joe Biden and with Gavin Newsom, Kamala Harris, all these type of different Democrats. They're using this as a, I guess you'd say, a launching point on how they think this helps them for the midterms next year. How this basically reaffirms that people want these types of policies, that they want a progressive policy, that they want – you know, someone like Newsom to continue to advance that agenda and continue to basically move that agenda forward into other states other than just California. And if you listen to his speech last night, there's it sounded like the way he talked was he talked about how Trumpism is still in the in the country and how it needs to still be wiped out and there's still a lot of process you know a lot of stuff that's got to be done to do that and just the kind of speech he gave it kind of made it made it sound like he was maybe potentially setting himself up for a run in 2024 which a lot of people was kind of caught off guard by considering that a lot of people thought maybe Kamala Harris would run if Joe was you know somehow I mean if he doesn't if he doesn't make it to 2024 which would be a miracle I think honestly um, in his current state, but sitting here looking at this though, going like I said, this is the part that I really want to hit on is the fact that they're trying to sh- you know shove this in your face. Oh, we won, we won. You know, California, this is a big deal, and it 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 really shouldn't be a big deal, and it really isn't a big deal because like I said, it it's California. Uh, California's been blue for a while now. Ever since, I mean, I mean, just for a while in general, but 
and we, I mean, you can see that all, just all down through the elections. Basically, when you start off any election, you instantly just like 2020 instantly they just you could have just wrote up the 55 electoral votes for the state of California and just thrown that in there. And that's like I said, that's just how it's been for a while now. And looking at this though, statistically, you're looking at the elections from. From let's look at 2018 when Gavin Newsom was elected governor of California, he ended up winning with 61.9 percent of the vote to 38.1 percent. Okay, so that's Gavin Newsom's election. That's how he won. Obviously, very, very favored in that election. He was able to pull it off very convincingly. Now you go over here, just looking at and this is a different election. Obviously, Newsom wasn't up for uh, re-election in this, but this was between Biden and Trump in this uh, 2020 election. Biden got 63.5 percent of the vote. Trump got 34. Point three, so twenty nine percent of the they won by a twenty nine percent margin in twenty twenty, and they also won by a twenty three percent margin in, like I said, the twenty eighteen for get you know the twenty eighteen election for Gavin Newsom. So twenty three, twenty nine, it's went up to twenty nine in twenty twenty for this. Obviously, you have a higher turnout when you have something like a presidential election like twenty twenty, but and then this one you had the total vote was sixty four to thirty six. So, 64, no, 36, yes, so that's 20, 28. So, you're sitting here looking at this. You're right still in that margin. You had 29 for Biden last year, and you're looking at it, that's still 28 this year. So, no, nothing's really changed in terms of the demographics of the, or the political landscape for California. But they're using this as a scare tactic, oh, you know, Republican voters, we're coming for you. This movement is advancing. We're doing a great job. We're going to continue to advance our agenda. We're going to use this for the for next year, and we're just going to continue to ride this out. And you know, have a good you know, we have a good shot of keeping keeping the House, keeping the Senate, and maybe even possibly growing our lead in those. And I've heard that all day, and it's just not it's just not true. I mean, in reality, they should be they should honestly be looking at this as okay. We had a one percent shift back from last year in the vote that we've had. And just take it for what it is. I mean, California State, California. And th that's really how everyone should approach this and not overreact to it because that's what they want you to do. They want you to overreact to this. They want you to be scared. They want you to be upset about this and think that it's over. They're going to continue to advance their agenda. There's not going to be any any pushback against them. But, I mean, it's just simply not the case. Like I'll give you an example. Today I saw I saw a Republican voter. He was, he was talking to uh, – he was talking to some different people on one of his forums that he had, and he was talking about how I just I just don't see how Republicans ever win another national you know see how they win another national election or any more just important elections in general. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, that's exactly how they want you to think. That's why the media continues to throw this stuff at you. They throw it at you and throw it at you until it wears you down and it breaks you to the point where you don't you you just don't think logically. And that's exactly what they want because they say we haven't won any important election the national elections over you know the past couple of years and that's just not true when you go from having a very large deficit in the house from the 2028 from the 2018 elections and then in the 2020 elections you go and you cut it within a five to six vote margin you obviously won some national elections or i mean i know it's state elections in terms of you know con congressional candidates and stuff like that but in terms of the whole national you know election time that's what i'm talking about and you were able to do that you just won the presidential election in 26 2016 so that's not that far off so you've won national elections you're still got a platform that people are voting for obviously 
but that's exactly what they want you to do with their type of policies. They want you to wear you down. They want you to think this way to the point where you won't go vote, where you won't get out, you won't talk to people, you're too scared to talk to people, where you won't fight back. You'll basically just accept their agenda and they'll move. you'll move on and that'll be the end of it because it allows them to continue to advance unhindered. And uh, we just can't allow that. We can't sit back and continue to allow them to ram their agenda down our throat, continue to you name it, force these vaccines, continue to trash our country, raise, you know, raise taxes that they're talking about doing here now. I mean, there's just all these different types of things that they want to do, and this is exactly how they do it. They find little narratives, and they continue to grow it into this big deal when it's really not just to scare you and use them as fear tactics. So you you really got to break it down and look at it in a smaller level than what they try to do. If you look at it at a smaller level, it'll make more sense for one, but it'll also level that fear down to just basically where – like I said, you go from oh we lost we lost this uh, recall election in California to now it's just oh well they California just did what they were supposed to or what they've been known to do, and so that's just that's simply the case. California is California now. In terms of what Republican voters in that state should do, I mean obviously that's decisions up to you. But the way things are getting and obviously with this type of win for Newsom in California. I think he'll take this as a, okay, I'm safe. There's no way, you know, now that I have any political backlash from what I do. I still won this by 28%. I can just move forward with all vaccine mandates for the state or, you know, for workers there, just anything like that. They can continue to enforce it. L.A. County already started enforcing something today when they were talking about they were going to implement a vaccine mandate for dining and just different stuff like that. So it's kind of already started because it kind of makes these Democrats feel like, all right, we got the power. We don't have to worry about anything. And that's what they want. And obviously, apparently, that's what Californians want. But obviously, that's not what they really want. And they're going to find that out quick, fast, and in a hurry. But for now, that's what they got, and that's what they're stuck with. So you get what you vote for, and that's the truest thing I've ever heard that saying. So moving on to the next story we want to talk about. Now, this was a bombshells news story that came out yesterday. Is Trump or uh, when Trump was in office, his he appointed uh, Mark Milley as the head general of the military, and as we all know, he's still there for Biden, and he's been involved with this whole Afghanistan situation. And so, a book comes out and has interviews on different situations that has taken place from Trump's time in office to uh, just a couple months ago, and looking at it you have Millie now who is being accused of actively undermining Trump's authority and saying that he was going to do everything in his power to make sure that Trump didn't plunge us into war or international conflict and that like in his last days of office because he felt like Trump was unhinged in the way he you know was running things at the time at the end of the 2020 election and so how he did this like I said he basically made generals that were there with him and people that were in charge of certain aspects swear to him that they wouldn't follow Trump's commands or Trump gave him commands. So, um, and this is what Milley thought was was Trump was going to attack China, so he wanted to make sure that no one would follow his orders and stuff like that happened. And then on top of it, he called congressional uh, congressional members like Nancy Pelosi and talk to her about what they could do to curb Trump's military or Trump's powers in general for during that time frame because this is what's scary in terms of how not only that he did this, but it's also scary in terms of what, most of the time you hear these people and you see some of the stuff they do, the crazy stuff they do that isn't logical and just in, in terms of what their policy is. And you sit here and think about it and you're like, there's no way they actually believe that there's some something 
deep down under that makes them, you know, do this. It's, it's a power grabber. They they don't actually believe this. It's just them, you know, using this as a way to advance what they want and just give them ultimate power. And while some of that is true, you can look at it in the way Mark Milley, when he's talking to Nancy Pelosi and they're actually, actually acting on this stuff, they actually believe what they're saying. And what I mean by that is he actually thought Trump was so unhinged during this time frame that he thought Trump would actively go and attack China just to stay in power. And first of all, that makes no sense whatsoever because if Trump in his final days attacked China and for no reason unprovoked, people would be trying to get Trump out of office, even Republicans, because they would think he was crazy. So it it doesn't even add up, but they make these stories up in their own head and they concoct them up and they, they, they act on it. And they do it thinking that they're saving democracy, quote-unquote, but in reality, they're committing treason. And that's exactly what he did because, like I said, while he was doing that and talking to congressional candidates and these generals and other people making him you know, swear to him that they wouldn't act on if Trump you know, gave them orders to do something, he also took it a step further and trying to prevent conflict with China and these other you know, possible other groups that he thought Trump might go after. He called a Chinese military general and told them if there was going to be an attack, he would warn them beforehand. So you're not only undermining the president of the United States, you're now actively selling off military communications, military um, action to foreign entities, the people that you're actively about to go against. And that is simply treason. Now, here's the problem with this the only thing about this story that while I would not be surprised whatsoever to see it be true, you have to you have to kind of just sit back and wait with this type of story because one, you can't just accuse someone of treason and go after him and remove him of you know of his position and you know strip him down of everything and without actual proof. Now we have this as just a interview from this book. Of just saying it from there, they said there were 15 people in the room when these phone calls were going on, and we have people that have sat down and inter- gave these interviews talking about this. So they're just interviews; they're hearsay. They're you know from someone else. So unless we can actively have uh, a phone conversation of of this actually taking place, if we have proof of it some other way, there's not really any way to act on it. And I know some people, some Republicans, and some you know some different people were already saying he needs to go ahead and step down. He needs to be tried and. While, if this is tr- absolutely true, he definitely needs to be tried for treason, there's nothing at this moment in time that could actively convict him of that. And so, if there's nothing to actively convict him of, you don't really have, you don't, I mean, you don't have a case, so you can't really go after him at this point. So, this one's definitely going to be a sit back and wait game. Now, with these type of accusations, I definitely think this warrants an investigation and should be done to the, you know, to the fullest. Now, do I think you'll get one? Honestly, no, because listening to Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, talk today, she said that Biden, you know, fully supports Mark Milley, that felt that he followed the Constitution like, you know, like he should, and just, you know, gave all this, you know, this great review about Mark Milley, and it just shows that they're going to stand behind him no matter what. There's not going to be an inter- there's not going to be an investigation because they don't want an investigation because it looks bad on them because Biden has kept him in charge because Milley was also in charge of helping with the Afghanistan withdrawal. So the whole thing in general is just it's a bad look that they're going to try to stay away from as much as possible. So uh, I I don't think you'll see one. I think this is going to be one of those stories that everyone gets outraged about and it dies off as long as you have Democrats in in charge there. So 
Um, now, do I hope something happens? Obviously, something needs to be investigated. There needs to be seen if there is a phone call that has taken place between Chinese military generals and Mark Milley. And if it is, like I said, he does need to be tried for treason. So that is that is what's been going on in that aspect. Uh, talk, Trump talked a little bit about it. He's obviously said he had no idea about this going on. And, well, I mean, that's true because obviously Milley was trying to keep it from Trump. So... Trump, why he said he didn't necessarily know if this was true or not, he did say himself that if this is true, it is treason. So everybody's kind of in, in agreement, if you're a Republican, that, that that this is what that is, and it needs to be handled that way if you know if it is proven true. So other than that, I mean, that's definitely an interesting story that we're going to have to sit and watch on until further revel- further revelations come, come back from it. So uh, next story, moving on, talking COVID for a minute. Looking at Fauci, he's been going around doing his interviews with all the all the Democrat news media, the mainstream media, the the what a lot of people like they call fake news. Been going around talking about these vaccine mandates that Biden's been putting in place and just what their next steps are after this because they obviously said they aren't done. They're going to use everything in their power to make sure that they curb the threat of this virus and try to get it under control and. Obviously, we sit here a full year and about eight months, nine months later and still have – do not have it under control, have it at some of its highest peaks in terms of cases that it's been at. And you look at it and it's it's, their next step that they're talking about now is making a vaccine mandate for for international travel, for air travel. And – he fully says that he says that he would fully support something like this. Fauci did, and says that is actively on the table in terms of what the Biden administration is looking at. So, not only have they in the last week said that if you're in a business that has a hundred or more people, you now have to either be vaccinated or tested. And obviously, we know that eventually that will be only vaccinated, as it was seen with the federal government when they gave the only only vaccinated order. So you know that's coming. So you got vaccine mandates in place, and now they're talking about if you also don't get that vaccine, so you can no longer work, and if you don't get the vaccine, you also cannot travel through by plane throughout the whole entire United States. So everything that was just said, though, is obviously a violation of the Constitution, and they do not care whatsoever one bit. And it, all of this is just based on their agenda of trying to gain more control because if they can continue to put these mandates in place and put these actions in place, they can continue to chip away at your freedom and they can use any public health emergency, any just national emergency in general, they can use it to gain more and more power to the point where they never have to give it up. And that's their end goal and that's what they're they're going to continue to do. And so Fauci's been on all these places. He's been talking about how this is, you know, their next step, and it's something that he agrees is going to be necessary. They talked about how uh, this isn't, you know, obviously in place yet, but they're trying some other measures. Like they're, they're, uh, they've doubled the fines for people that are flying with unmasked that they see. So, uh, just a, a lot of stuff that they've tried, obviously before that didn't work the first time, is not working. Not going to continue to work. So you can definitely see this coming into play, I would say, anytime within the next couple of months. And it would be real interesting if this happens roughly around the holiday season. And I think they'll try to wait when it comes in terms of that because you'd have a lot of people who are very unhappy, very upset if you have that set in 
right around the holiday season. So you might be looking at this maybe January or February. So they might hold off on it for a little bit. But ultimately, like I said, none of this, everything they keep trying to do, it, it obviously just hasn't worked. It's not going to not gonna work. It's an airborne respiratory disease, and you you can't stop it. The masks don't stop it. The Obviously, the vaccine hasn't even stopped it, as we have cases higher than they've been even before we had people vaccinated. So, obviously, none of the logic makes any sense. And I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about in terms of the the vaccine. You got the the country of Israel, who is one of the most vaccinated countries on all of the whole entire world. They only have a small, small percentage, and I'm talking about very, very small, that has not been vaccinated yet. But yet, they're and when I say vaccinated. It's not the one or the two shots that you get over here in America. They've already pretty much va- uh, triple vaccinated most of their citizens over there. So you got a triple va- vaccinated citizens over there, but they're at their highest case rate that they've been in the whole entire pandemic. Their hospitals are blowing up in terms of people that are there, and you're you're not seeing any improvement. And they're at three shots, and they're possibly already talking a fourth shot. So, three didn't work, so somehow four is apparently going to work. And like I said, I try to stay mostly out of uh, other, you know, other other countries in terms of their political stuff and what they're doing. But I just wanted to kind of give an example to show you that it doesn't matter what you throw at this. You can throw vaccine mandates at it. You can continue to add shots. You can have more, you know, boosters. You can put more masks on. You can wear 10 masks, 50 masks. It doesn't matter. This stuff's not going to work because it's a virus. It is going to continue to spread. It's going to make its way around the whole entire population and until you develop some form of herd immunity where if you come in contact with the virus, it's not as bad. It's just like a, the cold or it's just like the flu. And that's exactly what is going to happen no matter what they continue to try to do. So they know, and they know this, they're trying to act like they don't know this. Like there's some magical way where if you wear a double mask this time, it's gonna slow. It's gonna stop this. You know, slow down the the spread. Or if you stay away from that person six feet, it magically is you know not gonna reach them. Or if you get that third shot, it's actually gonna up your antibodies, but it's only gonna up it for about eight weeks at that point because until the vaccine loses effectiveness again. So it's just none of it works it's not gonna work and we're just at this point where you kind of sit here and you're just sitting here wondering when it's going to stop so and it's only gonna stop when you finally say it's it's time to stop we're not putting up with it anymore and i've seen some countries i mean not some countries but some states that are already beginning to do this i mean where i'm at over here in the alabama georgia area they are relatively pretty much over everything unless you're in certain locations like if you go to atlanta obviously you're going to have more you're going to have vaccine cards that you have to show at certain locations you're going to have to wear a mask still but where i'm at just in general you don't have anything like that you can walk into the store no mask i mean i've been around here you know my whole entire whole entire life but also like i said there's during this time frame there I mean, the whole time I've been been able to walk in most places without a mask. So, and definitely within the past year, I haven't had to put one on at all. So, it's it's like I said, a lot of places have moved on. More places will continue to move on. But at this point, it's just how you're going to fight back because there's got to be something more than you just sit here. I'm not wearing my mask. You you got to say something. You got to speak out against this absolute craziness that is going on. And until you do that, they're just going to continue to push it just a little bit further and push it a little bit further until they get what they want. So how some states have started fighting back against this, you look at Arizona. They've already sued the Biden administration just yesterday 
over the new vaccine mandate in terms of businesses and looking at it. It was kind of interesting how they did it because it wasn't the way that I expected them to go at it, like in terms of the lawsuit. So you look at the lawsuit, you know, from this, from most anglers, you're looking at it, you expect them to go after the constitutionality of it and how, you know, the person still has the right to choose their, you know, medical freedom in terms of what goes in their body and whatnot and how the Department of Labor doesn't have the power to be able to mandate, um, you know, vaccinations and stuff of that nature but they didn't go that route they went a totally different one and they went in terms of how it looks like the biden administration is favoring illegal immigrants that are crossing the border versus the citizens of america and it doesn't make sense it's just like i said it's just not the route most would expect so how they're saying is they have people that are crossing the border in america from the southern border and there, you because the Biden administration was asked about this the other day. Uh, Jen Psaki was asked, "How come the president can mandate the vaccines for all the people that are, you know, at work that have a hundred or more workers, but you have people that are crossing the southern border that are not required to be vaccinated when they come in? Because obviously they're getting picked up and they're getting dropped off at these facilities. They're getting checked and then they're getting sent off to never return for their court date." At that point, you would think if they're so serious about this virus, they would vaccinate the people while they're at the facilities, and then they would send them off And if the, if this virus is so serious. But they're obviously not. They're giving these people the opportunity to go into their country because they know if, some, if they have the vaccination mandate at the southern border, they obviously know that there's, that's going to turn a lot of people off. But they want more and more people to continue to flow through and flow through the border and continue to mess our country up in terms of allowing unchecked illegal immigrants. We don't even know who these people are coming through, but they're allowed to walk freely right into our country, no no vaccine, no nothing, and continue to spread variants from other locations all around the world into our population, but they'll still continue to blame the unvaccinated for the spread of the virus. So that's where the that's where this Arizona lawsuit is going from. Now, like I said, this is just theirs. They're the first one, the first state to go after them. There's obviously been, I think at this point, there was 20, either 27, 28, 29 states that had committed to actively suing the Biden administration and actively fighting back against their vaccine mandate that, that they've had. So this is just one of that many. So you can definitely see more. I definitely think other people will attack the other direction, like I already said. And I hope they do because, and like I said, this is definitely good from Arizona, you know, from Arizona because it gives us another, another route to try to attack them because if one doesn't work, you know, hopefully the other one will. And all these angles should work because like I said, this one right here definitely makes sense. You're favoring the freedoms of citizens coming from the southern, not even citizens, you're favoring illegal immigrants coming from the southern border, but you don't favor your own citizens' freedom to make their own medical choices. So it's definitely a good angle. It's just, like I said, it's not the way I thought the first state would come in and approach it. I definitely thought they would come in and approach it from the constitutionality, you know, standpoint of it. So definitely stuff to look out for. We will keep you updated on the political side of stuff. As stuff develops, there's going to be a lot that's going to be happening. So we're definitely looking at that, and we'll keep you updated. But moving over to sports real quick – like I said, not too much has gone on in sports since like I updated you last on Monday with <clears throat> talking about the NFL and talking about college football. Just a recap from the weekends. Um, just no games that's really been big during that time frame. You're looking at the end of the 
you know, MLB coming up, MLB regular season, you got about three weeks, so we'll be keeping you up to date here soon with how playoffs projection, not, well, how playoff projections are going and how, uh, how that whole lineup of how the playoffs is going to go, uh, standings, you know, seating, all that, how that's going to go in the next couple weeks. But one story I want to talk about is just what happened with USC. And as a lot of people I'm sure have heard by this point, Clay Helton is out as USC's head coach. He's been fired, relieved of his duty. And uh, this is this comes right after USC lost to Stanford 42-28. to USC was ranked 14th at the time. So looking at this, it's, it's not surprising. I guess you could say Clay Helton's been there a couple of years. It's just unfortunate because a lot of people – Definitely felt Clay was a was a really good man. Was really good for that program. All the kids loved him. It, it it came as a shock to a lot. It didn't come as a shock to me that they let him go because obviously, if you know sports at this point in time, it's all about money. It's all about recruiting. It's all about uh, you know just making your program look the best, trying to make more more and more money. And obviously, USC hasn't just performed to the level that many would thought or think they should, and they haven't. USC is obviously one of the most storied fran- or programs in all of college football history, all of sports history, and they just have not consistently been able to put together good seasons, and they've already started this one off one-on-one with they lost to a team that many thought they shouldn't have. And the, the problem is that USC, they they should have the talent to be able to just go in and out muscle these teams, out out talent these teams. Like, say you, you match up a team like, uh, just give you an example, just Alabama. Alabama can just go in and wipe out any team, you know, like a Stanford. They should, they would out-muscle them just simply right off the bat. They, Alabama could play one of their worst games, and they should still be able to walk away with the win out of that just because they got players that that have the talent, have the speed, have the physical characteristics that, that they need just to have – just to play a good football game or to win a football game. And you would think it would be the same thing with a blue blood light USC, but you obviously ha- haven't seen that. When you go, you know, and play a game against Stanford, you expect them to win. You expect them to advance. You expect them to keep their ranking. You expect them to continue to move up and improve each and every week, where they have a shot at the Pac-12 title later on in the year. And you just haven't had that whatsoever. I I don't even know when's the last time they really competed heavily for a top spot in college football, a top five. So I mean, they've, I'm sure they've got up there a couple of times, and but but each time that they have, they've found a way to fall off and just not be competitive either the next season or just have not been able to consistently put together strong seasons. So when that happens, obviously, you know, a change of leadership is coming and that's been the case with this situation right here. No one's questioning if Clay Helton's a good man. Obviously he is. The players love him. A lot of the, you know, just a lot of the staff there loved him. It came as a shock, especially with two games into the season. Um, but it, like I said, football, this has become a business now and USC is just looking to make a change that so they're moving on, uh, from him. Now, with that said, USC, it's up to them to, like I said, met through many coaches since winning, you know, being naturally or nationally competitive. So it's time to find someone that is going to put you in that, that limelight, that spotlight that you want to be in and, if they can do that, if they can find a guy that can do that, you'll you'll see a lot of things change. What I mean by that is, if you can find a guy who can put some energy into that that uh, that that group of players and that whole franchise as a whole, 
and you'll see players start wanting to come again. You'll be able to see games start being able to, to you'll be able to win games that you should have been able to win, like the Stanford game, and you'll just see the whole program transform. And talk, going back to recruiting, you definitely got to find a guy that can re- recruit. Like I said, you're in California. You're one of the most highly populated places for college football players, and some of your best players have walked to teams over in the South. I mean, you look at JT Daniels; he was over at USC. Now he's over at now he's over at Georgia. You look at um, DJ Uangale; he was over in that general vicinity. I think, and he is now at Clemson. So. You're looking at it and you get, you should be able to recruit. You should be able to retain players like this. You should be able to hold down your fort where you're at over there in California, and they just haven't been able to do that. So that's part of the reason why they haven't been able to just out talent teams, out you know, out fight other teams, and just win games that they <clears throat> they should just based on talent. And so that's where you got to start. Whatever coach they bring in, he needs to be able to recruit. He needs to be able to make this team competitive just right off the bat in terms of, like like I said, in terms of recruiting. So if they can do that, you'll start seeing wins translate. And just the more wins that you have, that also does help recruiting as well. So if you come in there, you start getting a couple of good four-star players, and then you start developing that talent. So you also got to develop as well. And you can develop that talent. You'll start seeing you'll start seeing more and more big five-star players want to come and p- compete at your program and transform a place like that. And that's what you see with places like Alabama. You saw it places like Clemson, and Alabama struggled there for a while, and then all of a sudden Nick Saban comes in, and he gets a couple of good players, and then they start winning some games. They become competitive. He develops that talent. And then all of a sudden you got the best recruiting class basically almost year in and year out. And that's how it starts, and that's how you got to work with it, and that's how you got to you got to go from USC standpoint because you're looking at some of the names that they've talked about possibly going after and talking to and you know what they want to do in terms of who they want to go after and they're kind of small names and while that's good there's definitely been some small name coaches that have come up and made a name for themselves you're a program like USC you should be able to go after anybody and ask them if they want to come to their your program and if they say no then they say no that you move on to someone else but you're that type of program you should ask anyone you want because a lot of people that you may not think would want to come to that program would love to be at that program and be able to coach so if you're USC you can't drop the ball on this because you dropped the ball on it the last couple of times in terms of coaching so if fans are getting restless there uh I'm sure players are too, you know, wanting to win a championship over there and just they they got to finally get someone in there who can make that make that jump and take them to the next level. So, uh, it'd be interesting to watch with that, but other than that, this is episode 5 of Revol- the Revolution Sports podcast and I thank you for joining us today. I want to give it, give you a heads up. I posted it on our social media pages if you're not following us there, you need to follow us so you can get updates about our podcast and what's going on with our schedule. But due to some scheduling changes and how stuff is right now, the podcast is going to be released on Mondays, Thursdays, and we'll still have our college football short episode on Saturday. We may throw some other stuff in there with that after the college football stuff, uh, after the preview show, just to make it maybe a little bit longer since we're not having that third episode during the week. Just But because of scheduling, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, and even when college football is over, we'll still probably have that Saturday show just to – just to have that, we definitely want to have three episodes for you a week so we can keep you up to date on everything that's sports and everything that's politics. So keep up with that. Uh, like I said, if you're not following our social media pages, do that. 
And if you're looking for more information, more articles on you know sports and news, we got you covered at our rev- website at therevolutionsports.com. So definitely check us out there. Share this stuff. Continue to spread information around. We've gotten some good responses off our podcast, off of our articles and all that. So continue to share. Help us as we grow because we're definitely looking to, to branch out and continue in these different avenues. So thank you all very much. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you all in the next one.